Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. My partner, Adam Hanson, is off on a well-deserved vacation, and so in studio with me today is Cody Beeson. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. So today we're going to talk about some interesting topics. I think uh, let's start off with something light. Um, How about the Constitution, where it talks about individuals being counted in determining representatives in the House of Representatives. Okay. And it talks about that in Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution, where it declares that any person who's not free would be counted as three-fifths of a free individual for purposes of determining the congressional representation. Now, that's a <laughs> mouthful right there. So, okay, what, what are we really getting into? Slaves and free citizens of the United States. That's who's going to be counted and counted as the three-fifths that we just mentioned there. So slaves were counted as three-fifths of an individual. And you hear this talking point come up quite a bit, and in, in a very negative connotation that uh, slaves or black people were only considered as three-fifths of a human being. They were not considered a full human being. And that is not at all what the Constitution was attempting to achieve right there. And, and when it was spelling out their, the way that they would be counted for purposes of representation, the Constitution was put together as a compromise. The southern states had a very different lifestyle than the northern states. And we needed to keep the entire country together. So the, the option was either go to civil war right then and there, with a very young, weak country and a lot of other countries, European countries, salivating, waiting to pick up the pieces and waiting for us to fall apart because this was an experiment to begin with that they never thought, the monarchs never thought that this could actually work. So that was not a very good option. Another option is to separate into two countries. One where there was a slaveholding population, the southern states, and and then the northern states where there is non-slaveholding. And that, again, is not a very good option because now we're fractured and, and two small, weak countries. So the third was come together with a document that would unite us as a country and allow for the current norms in society that existed. And unfortunately, that involved slavery. Very, very unfortunately. Um, but we need to realize, number one, that slavery was not a uniquely American problem. It wasn't even uniquely a white problem, white on black. It was something that was a worldwide problem, and it was a human problem that has existed since the history of, of mankind. I, I mean, it's in, it's in the stories in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's in our, all of our history, and it's still going on today. And if anything, it's more uh, prevalent today than it was ever in history. Scholars on slavery discuss the fact that there is more people in bondage today than have ever been in any other period of time. There's upwards to 20 million people enslaved today. And so if we're really concerned about the issue of slavery, we need to look and learn from the, the, our history, 
and the lessons of the past, but we also need to look at what's going on today. There's a lot of child and slave labor going on in Africa and these big open pit mines. There's a lot of slave labor going on in Indonesia. There's slave labor going on in China. Yeah. Um, especially with the Uyghurs, and, and, and that is not only slave labor, but genocidal slave labor. They're working them literally to death for the purpose of eradicating them from their population. And so those are all bad things that are going on. But let's get back to the original talking point. Three-fifths of a person, why would, you, why would you put that language in there? Well, the northern states did not want individuals who could not vote, who did not actually have a voice in their representation to be counted and given more representation or give the southern states more representation. So, for example, they didn't want the southern states that had, at that time, between three and and four million slaves to have greater amount of representatives in Congress, even though their slaves had no rights to vote, no rights whatsoever as a citizen. And so um, the southern uh, representatives, they all obviously wanted. They said, well, these are individuals here, and you're saying that for every 30,000 individuals in the state, we get a representative. That was the original language in the Constitution, so they should be counted. So the Northerners said, listen, we're not going to give you one for one because you're not giving them any type of rights whatsoever. We're, we'll compromise. We'll give you three-fifths of every person, or for every five people, you get counted three people. So you get some more representation because there is a bigger population, but you're not going to get one for one. And so what they were trying to do is reduce the amount of representation that the slaveholders had in the southern states in Congress. And the Constitution, when you read it as a whole, was clearly a path for eradicating slavery entirely. It only allowed slavery to continue on as far as the import of new slaves for a limited period of time. And uh, I believe it was 20 years. I'd I'd have to go back and check that. But um, after 1810, there could be no more importation of slaves. And so that was clearly a trigger to reduce the amount of slaves and slave labor in the United States. Now, it didn't have anything to say about the slaves that were currently here and how you know we could reduce the amount that were increasing just by um, more slaves being born to slave parents. But uh, it at least eliminated the slave trade coming into the United States. And then we know that in the Civil War, more Americans died uh, fighting the issue of slavery than all the wars combined still today. The numbers vary wide and uh, difficult to pinpoint, but it's somewhere between 400 and 800,000 people, Americans, died in the Civil War fighting on this issue of slavery. And so we've certainly put forth a lot of blood in penitence for this, this sin of slavery and to eradicate it out of our society. Furthermore, the Western countries like Great Britain, France, Spain, they also um, put on a lot of fleets and laws and uh, restrictions on the slave trade all around the world. So they wouldn't uh, deal with Arab countries that continued in the slave trade if they, continue, if they practiced slavery. And they would also 
um, put out ships to patrol the waters to uh, enforce slavery restrictions or the, the slave trade. And so they put a lot of their economic force and uh, investment into eradicating the slave trade. So, and, and Western societies have done more to eradicate the slave trade than Asia and Africa put together. So is slavery a horrible, terrible sin? Absolutely. Is it an American original sin? No. It was a worldwide humankind inbred in, in human nature from the beginning of time. And how do we get rid of it? That's the real question. We recognize what the problem is today, and we attribute our resources and our focus on what the problem is today, and understand that the three-fifths clause in the United States Constitution was not at all to diminish the individuality of a slave. In fact, it was just to diminish the power of the slave owner. So eventually, when the slave was free, we could work towards them becoming either incorporated as a citizen or freed and allow them to emigrate to whatever country they wanted to to leave and, and, and become part of. So let's talk then a little bit more about what is the little brother of slavery, and that is racism. I, w- I would call that the little brother of, of slavery. Right? Originally, uh, in the United States, uh, when it was a country, there were no white slaves. Okay, there, there were plenty of white slaves throughout the history of the world, mm-hmm. and th- throughout Arab countries, European countries, and so on. Um, I'm not sure if there was a lot of it uh, frequently in African countries, but it wasn't strictly a, a black issue, so the issue of slavery. Of course, there's very um, popular stories in the Bible where slavery was practiced, um, among the Egyptians, and you've got Joseph of Egypt who was sold into slavery. And uh, so, obviously, it wasn't just a race issue throughout human history, but it did become a race issue in American history because in the United States, only black people were slaves. Now, there were indentured people, meaning you, you had terms of servitude for years, and you were reduced to some level of slavery, but not nearly to the level of property like cattle, like slaves were treated um, back in the early U.S. history. But we've evolved past that. We've fought hard for eradicating slavery. Where are we now? Well, we, we've got this issue of racism. And what I find interesting, because I'm Christian and I believe that all men are created equal, and I'm also a constitutionalist, and, it's, and it states right there in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. And uh, so... I believe that. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that any race is better than another. I believe that we're all human beings and we're all endowed with these rights, inalienable rights, from our Creator. And those rights are the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that includes ownership of property and, and the ability to um, come up with our own ideas and benefit from our own ingenuity. And so when that comes back down to slavery... We, we, we look into racism. If you tie that in with Darwinism, then you really need to say, okay, either Darwinism is true, and then racism has a foothold, 
and and there there are some real good arguments for supremacy of one race or another, or it's not true because what is Darwinism? If you could, if you were to sum it up in a sentence, well, I mean, are you, are you talking about evolution? Because yes. then no other species enslaves another. You know, they they may eat another, but they don't. They, I mean, they kill it, but they may not. They don't enslave another. Uh, sure, but but the theory of Darwinism is evolution. Yeah, right, and that we all evolve at different rates and in different ways, and that we evolved from primates, and. and and so there are different levels of evolution among human beings. And since some human beings have evolved more than others, that's demonstrated through our characteristics, our outward perceivable characteristics, that is innately racist. Okay. How could it not be? I mean, I, 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 I think um, people just do evil things and slavery is a part of that. I mean, I agree. I agree. I, I I don't know how we, that is the reality of it, but either God created men and he created them equal. Yeah. And there we go. Or we evolved from primates and through evolution, evolution is not this really clean process where it says, okay, one day you're a primate and now all human beings are being separated and they're all equal because they have all evolved, all races evolved equally. Because the geography and because of the climate and because of conditions that we live in, the environment, um, we would evolve differently. Some people would evolve to be better uh, manual workers. Some people would evolve to be more um, intellectual thinkers. And that would naturally divide us up by race and by population into being more capable at one thing or another. And then you would look at a certain population of people and you say, well, that, that people, they're, they're more capable at mathematics. And this people over here, they're more capable at the, at the arts. And this people over here, they're more capable at manual labor. And I think that's exactly the mentality that Darwinists have, is that a certain class of people have less mental capacities, but greater physical capacities because of evolution and i disagree 100 percent with that i i believe that we're all created equal now some of us are born with a little bit more intellect but it's not because of our race at all it's just because of our genes and you know i may have an iq of 100 but i can work hard and i can achieve quite a bit and somebody might be born and have an iq of 120 and achieve less but I'm not going to look at that individual and, and look at the color of their skin or the, the religious background that they came from or their country of origin and say, well, they have less because they actually have less capabilities. They have less because they worked less or their society provided with them with less freedom and opportunity. I guess there are certain height differences of certain cultures, but at the end of the day, we're all the same. Right. You know? And we all have the potential to to grow and develop on our own if the government would stay out of our way the the less the government intervenes with our lives and the lo- the more that the government just protects our rights we do need government intervention right because mankind is is by nature hostile <laughs> and um you know we're going to fight to get food and resources for ourselves and our families and deprive it of others. And so we need governments to say, okay, hold on, you can work as hard as you want for your own, but you can't uh, 
you can't trample on other people's rights in order to obtain what you need for your sustenance. And so we do need government controls to establish, or not to establish, but to um, protect our rights. The, the rights are established through God, God-given rights. And uh, we, we also need to recognize that regardless of where you come from, you're equal. And that means you can't have come from evolution and you are not currently evolving. We are human beings, intellectual, made in the image of God. We have been from the beginning and we will continue to be. And therefore, we should all be respected and all rights treated sacred and uh, yeah, we went through a very dark time in the early period of our history. I think that our founders, especially even the founders that owned slaves, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, um, understood that that was a very bad and, and, and wicked episode and, and component of our, of our society, but something that they didn't understand could be worked out at the time and looking back in history I don't understand if it could either it's really hard to judge a society that lived uh, 230 years ago based on standards now it's it's impossible and so they dealt with the issue the best way they could and that is keep the country together allow freedom to prevail recognize that we we've got this higher ideal that everybody is created by God equal rights and equal standing and then let's work towards achieving that ideal eventually because we can't achieve it now and stay united as a country and I think that is what the Constitution is all about and the three-fifths clause is actually a example of that rather than example of a diminution of the humans that were enslaved at that time we got to take a break this is 560 a.m. KBLU life death and the law more thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson in studio here with Cody Beeson. This week, we have seminars, live seminars, uh, question and answers about estate planning, about what you need to do to make sure that if something happens to you, you get sick, and you need somebody to make decisions on your behalf, then what documents do you need to have in place? What type of illnesses or accidents could happen and we want to have a live discussion there because we understand that through open and free discourse the best ideas come to the top and 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 the worst ideas get rooted out or at least get exposed for what they are and so we are a hundred percent advocates of the concept of free discussion and we believe in what we are doing in putting the people in control, putting you in control of your legacy, of everything you worked for over a lifetime, and reducing the government's influence in that. And we, we believe that we've found a very workable solution to help maintain that control beyond sickness and death. And we want to explain that solution to you in a way that you can understand. And if you don't understand it, or if what we're saying 
doesn't really resonate, doesn't connect all the dots, then you can question it in a live forum with 40, 50 other people there. And we can answer those questions and discuss the concerns that you may have in a way that either resolves your concerns or points out the weaknesses in our argument. And we, we believe that is the best way to get good ideas out there. And we also believe that education is the best way for all of us to make good decisions. So this firm has been founded on the concept of educating the community and allowing them to make good decisions regarding their own estate plan. So we're going to be doing that this week. There's two seminars available. There's one Thursday at the Yuma Main Library at 10.30 a.m. and there's one on Friday, same time, 10.30 a.m. and it is the 13th. So it's Friday the 13th. If you're a superstitious person, uh, drive very safely and uh, we'll, cool. we'll, we'll try to treat you very well and, and resolve any of your superstitions and concerns there. You definitely need to get your affairs in order. If oh, yeah. You're a superstitious person. Maybe you yeah. had to do it on a Thursday before <laughs> Friday the 13th. You know, one of the great things that, that I've come to learn about the seminars is there's a, a great opportunity for people to bring others that, that may be on the fence. You know, you know this inf- information is important. You know you need to have healthcare documents in place before something happens. But, you know, you have a, a mother that may be dragging her feet. And you just, it's a great opportunity to, to present that in a, a neutral setting and let them learn. Yeah, you know what, what we've found is it's, it's typically the wives dragging their husbands. Okay, something like that, right? you know. Because yeah. as, as 18-year-old kids, you know, especially males, we were immortal. I, I, I don't know if our female counterpart felt the same way, but I was immortal, right? There was nothing that I could do that could harm me. And we kind of take a little bit of that mentality, even as our body degrades a little bit. I'm now 44, so I'm well over the hill. And uh, I still feel like, well, I've got a good handle on things, but I see so many scenarios where individuals come in and uh, life has thrown them a curveball and they need the planning, the legal documents in place to have people that care for them, that think like them to help make those healthcare or legal decisions for them. They need those documents. And so having seen that so frequently, I've seen it literally thousands of times. So I, I understand the importance of those documents. But what I also see more frequently is that it's, it's, the female counterpart in the relationship that's saying, let's get this in place and let's make sure that you're brought in here because statistically it's, it's us males that um, are getting sick and dying earlier. And it's the females that are left carrying the weight of the responsibility to make those decisions. They, the least you could do for them is give them the documents that they need to carry out those responsibilities. Like pull the plug if needed. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, Thursday at 10.30 a.m. and Friday at 10.30 a.m., it's very easy to RSVP, and it's important to RSVP. Last month we did this, and uh, we had a good problem, but it was a problem. We ran out of seats. So we had um, 80 people RSVP, but we had over 100 people show up at the Yuma Foothills Library. And if you were one of those that showed up, um, you, you saw what went on. We were unable to fit you all in, and so we had to turn several away. So go online. You can just type in Deason Garner Law or Yuma Estate Planning, and our website will pop up. If you scroll down, just one page down, scroll down, you can set appointments, 
and uh, you can choose which seminar you want to attend. Click on the date, click on the time, and you'll RSVP your seat. This time we're going to be a little bit more strict with the RSVPs because we, we weren't able to have all the people that wanted to attend get into the seminar last time. So we need to get you RSVP'd so you can get your seat and uh, understand and, and be part of that conversation. During the last segment, we talked a little bit about three-fifths of a person and how it was racist. It was in the Constitution. The Constitution was attempting to eradicate slavery and reduce that, but it was only a pathway. It wasn't the ultimate solution. It was a pathway to the solution. And ultimately, throughout the Civil War, slavery was outlawed and, and in the 13th Amendment made unconstitutional. And so now we don't have slavery anymore. And that's a wonderful way that uh, the founders created the Constitution to allow for us to continue to change a document as our society evolves and changes. And unfortunately, it seems that this issue of racism is, is not getting better, at least over the past 20 years. Now, maybe I'm paying closer attention to it now than I was 20 years ago, but I don't think so. I think that the racial divide is, is becoming greater, and that's a problem. We should be evolving, especially here in the United States, and, and recognizing that um, we're all equal in the eyes of God, and we should all be equal in the eyes of the government and the eyes of each other. And that means eliminating racism. Now, racism of all forms. And what racism, racism is, is when you treat somebody differently in any way because of the color of their skin or the origin, their background, their country, um, religious backgrounds, that's bigotry. Uh, it's not racism, but it, it, it's akin to it. And, it, and it's just as bad. And so how do we eradicate that? Well, there's a court um, case right now that is talking about affirmative action. And many of you know what affirmative action is, but just to put it out there plainly, it is giving favored treatment for minority applicants to universities in pursuit of enriching the educational environment of the university with the idea, the underlying concept that a diverse student body is better for providing a good learning atmosphere. Now, in theory, I think that uh, is okay. In reality, I, I don't see it working. Um, I know that as a white, Christian, straight male, I don't get any privileges in applying to a university, and I know that my intellect is no better than all my fellow peers out there, whether they be Asian or Hispanic or black. And so since some of those um, would get favor, favor treatment in affirmative action universities, that is a form of racism. And so I'm being discriminated against, and perhaps rightfully so, because my forefathers um, persecuted black individuals or Hispanic individuals or Asian individuals in prior eras. But I'll tell you what, I personally did not. I, I didn't participate in that. And I think we can all agree that nobody should be punished for their father's sins. So 
let's let's take that concept and and, and really uh, embrace it. Nobody should be punished for their father's sins. So we shouldn't be paying for what my ancestors did. I shouldn't be paying for what my ancestors did. And nobody else out there should be receiving benefits for what was done to their ancestors. We should all be working off an equal playing field as much as we can. Now, obviously, what my parents told me again and again when I was growing up, life is unfair, is true. Life is unfair. People are born with um, genetics where they're, they're, they have a better aptitude for understanding math and science, or they're, they're, they're taller, so they're going to be a little better basketball player, or they're faster, so they're going to be a better track runner. And that's just unfair if, if you want to look at it that way. But that doesn't mean we need to change the playing field to say, okay, well, this person, because they are, they're just a faster runner and they have been since the time they're five years old, they need to start five feet back from the rest of the people or the other kids that are slower, right? Maybe they or were born with a gene that makes them a little bit more heavy, right? They get a start five feet ahead. That is what affirmative action does. And the way I believe you can truly measure the, the efficiency and the effect efficacy of affirmative action is look at the outcome. When the people are working together in the universities and graduating from the universities and, and they now are in the real world trying to be productive human beings, are they looking at one another and, and saying, okay, well, that was a good system that we went through and, and embracing each other for their race and their background? Or are they a little bit more embittered because some had better learning opportunities and got into universities and educational institutions um, based on race or gender or whatever it is, sexual preference, and, uh, and others were discriminated against and not given those learning and educational opportunities for that. And so now we've got different employment opportunities and we have these feelings of resentment against our counterparts, whether it be race or sex or sexual preference, that we, we've created a greater divide. So yeah. and, and that's the same thing that we do when we're talking about estate planning. I've got individuals that come in and say, um, I've got five kids and I want them all to be tre treated equally when I pass away. I don't want them to fight. There are two of them that get along very well. They've been best friends since they were kids. The others somewhat okay, but there are two that absolutely, they just don't talk to one another. But I want them to get along. So what we're going to do is we're going to make all of them in charge of the estate. Now, if it's a trust, they'll all be trustees. And I look at them and I say, that's a terrible idea. Um, it, it's great in theory, but in practice, if I'm going to be helping your family after the fact, it's going to make my job a nightmare and it's going to make their job uh, it, it, it's not going, you can't compel people to like one another <laughs> by writing it into the rules of the trust. But we've tried to write that into law. But we're trying to write that into law. And so I've seen it again and again with families that you, you cannot compel them to like one another and to get along. So what you can do is you can write in there that they're all going to be treated fairly, give one authority to deal with the banks, deal with the vehicles, deal with the houses, consolidate it, give an accounting to every person that is a beneficiary of the estate so they know how it's being dealt with and that they're getting their fair share, but they don't actually have to sign on every deed that, of a house that gets sold or a title to a car that gets sold or a bank account that's getting consolidated. And, and, and it's the same thing here. We, 
we got to work out the difference between theory and in practice. And in practice, what affirmative action does, I think, is widens the divide between the gender gap, the racial gap, the you know sexual preferences. If we treat everybody equally, give equal opportunity, we have to understand that there will be a vast difference in the outcome and where people go. We're not robots. We're not zombies. We're not all going to become engineers, and that's a good thing. So because of that, we're going to have different levels of success in different fields of our choosing, and that's just natural human tendency. So allow that to play out. Give them the equal opportunity when you enter the higher education and let them choose their diverse and... Uh, and varying degrees of, of prosperity based on the work that they put in and the merits that they bring to the table. We've got to take a break. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, and uh, we do estate planning. We help people organize the assets that they have. First of all, we need to identify the assets that you have. So we do that by providing individuals with education, and uh, we provide educational seminars online, so you can uh, Google Yuma Estate Planning and find an online seminar that you can watch. You can also attend, I think this is the best way to learn about us, is attend a live seminar and that uh, we're having this week at 10.30 a.m. at the Yuma Main Library on Thursday and at 10.30 a.m. at the Foothills Library on Friday. That's Thursday the 12th and Friday, unfortunately the 13th. If you're superstitious, I am not. So I will be there presenting, and I think that we'll have good results. But we want to learn about how we can better ourselves. We want to learn about how we can take all of the benefits and all the blessings that we've received um, as being citizens of the United States and continue those for the next generation. Now, the best way to continue those is to teach your children how to be productive citizens of the community. Another good way that, that is comforting is to keep the government out of your affairs and to pass along some of the material things that you've acquired and your legacy that you've acquired over a lifetime and pass that on. And their legal documents help you do that. The proper legal documents help you do that. So we sit down, we discuss what assets you have, how to organize those so the person next in line when you get sick or pass away can understand what you have and, and uh, safeguard that and pass it along to your beneficiaries, whether that be your children or your favorite charity, and uh, how to do it in a way that will minimize government involvement. Um, as far as developing a legacy, I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about the issue and the subject of self-mastery. So it's Malcolm Gladwell, um, he had a bestseller about mastery. And his common underlying theory was that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at any skill. Now, Cody, you're very good at certain things. You're very good on the radio. You work a lot of um, 
technology behind the scenes to make the radio show sound a lot better than it does probably when we talk live here in the studio. And you, you cut out the little ands and ums and, and foopas. But um, that takes a lot of hard work to do that. You went to school for it specifically. In fact, what right. your degree was? Well, I mean, it's in audio engineering. Okay. But I mean, it, and just like what you do, right? I mean, it, it takes that time to get to that level. And then once you're at that level, you can kind of perform it faster. Yeah. But you don't do that right out of the gate, right? So you, you put a lot of time and effort into it. And when you're going to school, um, all the concepts with, that you were learning, I, I would venture guess that they were stretching your capabilities. They were just beyond your current capabilities in order for you to acquire new skills. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think after the fact, you kind of think back and you think, oh, that's why I learned that, you know, tool or, or story or, or that lesson was for something that, that happens, you know, down the road that you figure out in life. And you, you haven't, I, I wouldn't guess you've totaled up the amount of hours that you put into it, but would you uh, agree that it takes about 10,000 hours to become a master at the subject? I, I, yeah, and I, I totally uh, endorse that, that um, Gladwell, you know, philosophy because, um, and I repeat that to people because, you know, yeah, it takes a 10 year, I say 10 year journey or 10,000 hour, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be a, a great public speaker, get started because it's going to take you know, 10,000 hours to do that. So there is a, a breakdown of how you actually apply the time during those 10,000 hours. You don't just get to exist for 10,000 hours and then whatever you happen to be doing at that time, now you're a master at it because maybe what you're doing is you're watching a bunch of TV, right? Okay. <laughs> and nobody yeah. wants to be a master at just lounging around. Um, so there's a formula and I've broken it down into an acronym, and the acronym is DIRT, okay. of all things, okay? But it's DIRT spelt D-E-R-T. And so the formula is it's got to be difficult enough to stretch beyond your current capabilities. If it's something that you're currently capable of doing, then you're not working towards mastery. That doesn't count as an hour towards mastery. Like if you're comfortable? Yeah, if you can already do it. For example, hmm. um, I've been typing for 30 years. And I still, at about 14, I was able to type at 40 words per minute. Now I can type at 40 words per minute, right? Because I became comfortable at this level of of typing. In fact, I probably even, I'm less accurate than I was in school because I was graded on accuracy. And now I can just hit the backspace as many times as I want and, and, and keep moving forward. And so I'm not as accurate and I'm not worried about it. But if I wanted to become a better typer, then I would have to try to push myself to 42 words a minute and, and, and really count the accuracy and do less backspacing. And so my mind would be pushed and my skills would develop and that would count towards that 10,000 hours. It doesn't matter that I've put in 20,000 hours towards typing. I'm no better typist. Same thing with driving a car, right? I'm a mediocre driver. I become a better driver if I go to a track and I learn different skills and I'm pushed at different speeds and, you know, different uh, maneuvers. (laughs) So what do you do that you want to become better at? Whatever that is, you're going to have to push yourself beyond your current capability. So that's the first thing in our acronym and it's difficulty. The difficulty has to be just beyond your current capability. Now, you can't ratchet up the difficulty to, to 10 right and think that you're going to get 2 hours for every hour you put in because <laughs> the difficulty is so high right if i want to become a good tennis player then i'll play somebody like my son who is 
better than I am, but at least I can score some points on him. I'm not going to play somebody like Roger Federer. Right. It, it's, the difficulty is just too great. I'm going to lose interest in it and, and be demoralized, and that, that's not going to do any good. So the, the level of difficulty has to be just beyond your reach, where you're, you're attaining a level of success from time to time, and you can see it, and you can measure it, and uh, you can improve it incrementally. The next one, the E in dirt, is it's got to be the proper environment. It's got to be something that you can measure. So if, it's, if you want to become a very good gambler, well, good luck, especially if you're working on roulette, because roulette is totally random. And so you're never going to become good at roulette because you can't become good at something that's random. It has to be something that is in the correct environment that is measurable. So, for example, typing is a wonderful thing that is measurable, but other things are too, like public speaking, like you mentioned, or um, if you're putting together pipes as a plumber. Or if you're driving a car, you, you can do things that you can measure accuracy and efficiency and become better at those things. And so it's got to be the correct environment where it, it can be measurable. Uh, the third thing, the R in the dirt, is repetitions. You need to do it a lot. And that's where the 10,000 hours comes in. It's, it's repetitions within 10,000 hours. If you don't get in the repetitions, you're not going to get good at it. You could, you could study a really masterful chess game and study that one chess game really hard for 10 hours, and you're not going to become a chess master. You're going to become slightly better at, at that one particular game. But you're going to have to study a lot of different chess games to become better and become a master at it. And then finally... So we've got difficulty, environment, repetitions, and then it's timely feedback. Now, this mm. one is critical. And this is where athletes with a good coach become really incredible athletes. I remember um, I got into wrestling as a fourth grader, and uh, I was mediocre. I was really a, an aggressive, kind of wiry and energetic type of kid, and so I would make the, my opponents work for the win, but they would get the win, right? And I had no coaching at, at that first year of wrestling. But uh, then there was a coach that he was just this phenomenal coach. I just was fortunate in Sandpoint, Idaho, that uh, he decided that he was going to start a off-season team and, and coach a few wrestlers. And he's like, you know what? You've got a lot of drive and desire. But you don't have a lot of technique. Let's see what you can do with some technique. And so he taught me some technique, and everything changed from one year to the next. I was winning the majority of my matches as opposed to getting beat out of the tournaments. And so um, he was able to look at what I was doing and tell me, okay, listen, that right there, what you did, is wrong. You were You were doing it this way but it needs to be done that way so timely feedback videotapes and with cell phones yeah oh my gosh they have helped incredibly with that timely feedback so if you've got a good coach whether you're playing volleyball or baseball or basketball or wrestling the coach who can see what's going on and give you feedback seeing things that you can't see or, or using his experience to provide you that information that's what's important and you can if, if it's something else like your profession if you have somebody else that is a master in that field and you can work along with them and be humble enough to take their advice and ask for their advice because a lot of us, you know, our pride gets hurt when uh, we're told what we're doing wrong. 
But that's the best way to improve is to point out the things that we're doing wrong because that's the timely response and feedback that we need to become better. If we want to become masters, we have to allow for that timely feedback. So DERT, D-E-R-T, proper level of difficulty. It's got to be the right environment where it can be measurable. It's got to be enough repetitions. 10,000 hours is a rule. Some people can do it in less. And uh, it's got to be, you got to allow for the feedback. You have to be humble enough to take advice that has achieved the level of mastery that you are seeking. So, and humility, if you break that word down, it is the, the willingness to learn and to take advice and to improve. That is what humility is. So you've, you've got to put those together. Why am I talking about that as an estate planning attorney? Because our listeners want to pass on a legacy to their kids. The best legacy that you can pass on is for your kids to be productive citizens of our society. And I don't care if how much wealth you acquire and pass on to them, you'll never give them satisfaction in life. You'll never give them what, what they could create or more than they could create on their own. So just taking it down to the example of the seed, right? If you, if you provide them a whole silo of seeds and it's enough to feed them for a lifetime, they may have enough to eat, but they're not going to gain the satisfaction that they would if you would give them one seed and teach them how to plant it and that seed would multiply and then they can be a productive farmer. So that's what we want to develop is the ability to develop our skills and our talents. So the, the true legacy that we pass on is our wisdom and the ability for our children to become masters themselves. And so that is the legacy that I believe that the founding fathers laid out for us to be able to develop, get the government out of our way, allow us to be owners of our own intervention, of our own uh, production, of our own property, and use our liberty as we see fit to master the skills that we choose. We're all created equal. We shouldn't be given favors, and we shouldn't be discriminated against. Uh, that's all the time that we have for today. This is 560M, Life, Death, and Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. <laughs>